0: in your place the, the month Elvis died
1: yeah because I remember uh, getting the money for Rocket to Russia yeah August 77 and uh, been there ever since is it just a really good place or are you just afraid that you can't, you can't move I anymore? couldn't afford to move right? yeah. I, I lived in seven different places between yeah. 1972 and 1977 Yeah, I lived, I lived in Brooklyn for a while I lived across the street from the Hells Angels clubhouse I uh, had a really small apartment on 24th Street which was great because my school of visual arts yeah. was around the block yeah so those five minutes away is great I was
0: yeah I mean my first two years here I was probably in I don't know probably about ten different places and at some point when I could actually just afford my own place, I just wanted to stay put for as long as humanly possible. It's nice to just be able to breathe and not to have to think about. It. I was, you know, I was living for a while. I Was like living with not that I had owned that much stuff, but I was definitely living with all of my things in boxes, anticipating that I was probably going to be moving in the not too distant future.
1: Yeah, one time, the time before this, I lived above Stromboli's Pizza. Oh, okay, and I didn't On, get everything uh, out in time. I lost about half of everything I owned. Yeah. There's that, and then yeah. my apartment that I live in now was broken into a couple times. You're, uh, what's kept you in New York, though? Cheap
0: rent. <laughs> I'm rent-stabilized. You're, you're the only person, you're one of the only people I've ever talked to who's ever had that answer. Well, oh. the cheap rent has kept them in New York. I mean, oh.
1: <laughs> Well, everybody I know who yeah. moved in and got a cheap apartment in the 70s is in it's yeah. Right here. Yeah. No, I had,
0: uh, I had Richard Hell on the show, and he's... Managed to... He's, he's been, boat. I think, in the same place since, like, 76
1: or something like that. Yeah. Um, but you went to SVA. Yeah. What did you What did you study? Well, first year's always foundation for yeah. you there. But I was studying comics and cartoons. Okay. Uh, we were the did people... Did you study with Kurtzman? Did you overlap? Yeah, well, them? we oh, were yeah. the people who talked to school into hiring them. Really? Yeah. Well, I got along great with the president. Yeah. Like, he picked me out right away as a smart kid. Uh-huh. And... Um, there was a cartoon club, and a lot of the people were not too happy that they decided to go to SVA for comics because it used to be the cartoonist and illustrator school. Mm-hmm. And I said, we gotta, we got to talk the school into getting some comics classes. So they made up a list of the people they wanted, and I brought it to the president, and he picked out the first two names. It was Harvey Kurtzman and Will Eisner. That would have been what 75? 73, 74, 74, 73, 74 was their first year. Yeah, and I ended up doing work for both of them. I had to drop right. out after that second year. I couldn't find any scholarship money. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't. My parents weren't supporting me.
0: I, I mean, Eisner would. I know Eisner would have been doing probably commercial work at that point, like literal commercial work at that point, just doing ads and things like that. Not
1: really. No? No, He, I think he might have stopped doing PS1 by then. Okay. Um, At some point he he was drawing, like, tennis ads. I don't remember that, but he was doing these things called uh, Poor House Press. Okay. He was doing these cartoon books. Yeah. Um, And I remember we... And he was also doing The Spirit with... uh, What's his name? Not Harvey. The the creepy and eerie publisher, James Warren. Okay. Yeah. So he was hiring a guy to to ink the covers and do the coloring. Yeah. Because they had new covers. He's doing the books. But he did close down his New York office about, about the next year or two. And I actually one of the things I did was help consolidate. He had two floors, and I consolidated two floors oh. into one, and just helped throw out a lot of stuff. So, so you, I mean, you, uh, you had
0: already sort of ingratiated yourself with Kurtzman and, and Eisner. At that oh point? yeah, I was like the star pupil. Yeah. Um, and you wanted to? I mean, co- comics seemed like a potential actual career path for you in the well, mid seventies. Yeah, well,
1: back in the seventies, yeah. you could support yourself doing art, illustration, yeah. comics. My first job that actually enabled me to bring out Punk Magazine was I did one page a month for a magazine called Bananas that Scholastic was publishing. My editor was uh, Jovial Bob Stein, who later turned to the dark side and became R.L. Stein Uh when he wrote Goosebumps. But I did that for 10 years. And in 1975... I was getting paid three hundred dollars per page. Wow! So my rent was a hundred bucks. Yeah, I had 200, 200 bucks to spend on whatever. So you do you you're
0: doing kids' work at that point?
1: Yeah, was middle, that school. Middle, middle school,
0: middle school. I, I guess what they would call ya now. Huh? Ya is what they would call it now. Oh, really? Yeah, huh. young young adult. Um, and that that seemed like that's that was your career path at that point was doing
1: stuff yeah. for kids. Yeah. Well. It would take me a few yeah. days to knock out a page, and then I could do freelance work. I did yeah. a lot of freelance illustration around 79, 80. You know, Punk was supporting my freelance career by bringing out the magazine. I was able to hustle more work. But by 79 and 80, publishing kind of started going, going downhill. Yeah. Pretty much the freelance rate stayed, stayed frozen. So by 1984... $300 a month was not really paying the rent anymore. You know, the, Thanks to Jimmy Carter, there was inflation. I couldn't afford to bring out the magazine anymore because the paper costs yeah. went through the roof.
0: Uh, it's, it's, it's funny, actually. I was, uh, you know, I, was, I was on the way here. I was reading a, an interview that you did, and I, I, think, you, I think you said you were, you were so frustrated at the time with uh, Carter that you voted for Reagan, which is one of those things that maybe in hindsight... No.
1: No? No, I would never vote for Jimmy Carter. Never. And Jesse Jackson was worse. Jesse Jackson started a crusade against punk rock. Yeah. You know? How can I support these? Oh, you, voted for, but, but you Jesse, voted for Reagan, though. Yeah. Well, you have a choice, right? Yeah. Or the third party. Sure. But, not, oh, yeah. I was so angry with Carter. Yeah. You know? I mean, Carter put me out of business. Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, macroeconomics, I, I guess. Mean, <laughs> no, they were anti-punk rock. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, looking back on it, I found out some things. I think this some government group infiltrated the magazine, really and destroyed us. Yes.
0: God. Yeah. You know, it's th- that thing came out about um, Nixon over the past week about the drug yeah. war. You heard about yeah. that? And it's one of those things where you, you, you know, you always have some like faint a- idea that maybe that there are these goings oh, on no, behind no, the no. scenes. I, but we knew
1: it was. Ha- yeah. If, if you were in rock and roll, sure, or politics, you knew the real purpose was. Yeah. You know, anti-hippie, anti-black. Yeah. I mean, look at the war on John Lennon. Look at what they were doing to he John Lennon. They tried to deport him, yeah. And in 19, when they found out about COINTELPRO, the program that went after, that tried to sabotage and put the underground newspapers out of business, Yeah, why would they stop with them? Yeah. Why wouldn't they carry on and go after punk? And especially because we were working with Tom Forsad, who was their public enemy number one. Yeah, he was the he uh, Yippie. Wa- And he ran the underground press syndicate. So he was helping publish all the newspapers they hated. The Native American newspaper, the gay newspapers, the rock and roll newspapers, the communist papers. You you name it, he supported it. And everything he supported was the people like Nixon and the people in the government who stayed in the government after Nixon was thrown out. You know, they kept the war going.
0: Yeah, I guess I, I guess it was just sort of you know I, I it was. It's interesting to finally hear it, kind of that they're having those literal conversations. I always I always guess I just sort of assumed. I mean, you know, I, I silly in hindsight, but they, they were speaking in more veiled terms. But no,
1: they very clearly were saying oh, this is how it, we. If you if you read anything about Harry Anslinger, yeah. who started the marijuana prohibition, yeah. he specifically targeted blacks, Latinos. Yeah. Said you know, marijuana. Inflames their lust, and they go after the white women. It, it was that was the same argument that the yellow journalists used in the 1900s against Asians. Yeah, you know, opium dens were yeah, yeah, designed to yeah. seduce the white woman so they could have sex with her. That's if you paid any attention to the literature of the the drug war, which started. Really, in the early part of the twentieth century, with the passage of the Harrison Narcotics Act, mm-hmm. you know, you know what's happening. Wait, so, I, I'm actually I'm really curious about this idea of, of
0: of them actually infiltrating the magazine. How how large was the staff at at that point? Oh, very small. Yeah. We,
1: we didn't. We were publishing occasionally. Yeah. So,
0: so it would have been difficult to infiltrate with
1: a staff that small, right?
0: Right. So, so what, I mean, are, are there, you know, obviously without like naming any names, but there are individuals in hindsight that you're sort of yeah. suspicious
1: of? Yeah. Well, you know, someone came to me and said, uh, you know, this guy, I, you know, was my roommate back then, and I saw his suitcase, and there was a lot of, like, classified or, wow. you know, government kind of memos, Yeah. and I heard he later became Ronald Reagan's personal driver, and then we looked at, someone else looked into it, because the punk number nine was the issue that would put us over the top. Yeah. We were going to have an interview with Kiss, and of course that probably would have put us out of business, because yeah. every punk would have never picked up a <laughs> magazine again, but it was a great interview, and yeah. we had you know a lot of great material in it, but that one never got back from the printer, and I had unfortunately gone away for a couple of weeks so when i came back i was told we we've gone out of business
0: that's i mean that, that must be such a, a an interesting moment when it you know at at some point there's some sort of tipping point from like feeling like you're just being sort of paranoid to like oh this actually seems to be happening like this isn't this is this has gone over from conspiracy theory to like there's some very clear evidence
1: that well i I didn't i was naive back then yeah i didn't believe the government would come after us well but it also seems like i didn't think it took me until a few years ago to process the fact that this was happening because you didn't yeah i mean you you know
0: you, uh, you know uh you know certainly like socially and and maybe to some degree politically but you weren't you know, you, 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 you weren't trying to, like, you know, overturn the government and you weren't, like, you weren't plotting terrorist groups. So it, it probably seemed like, from that standpoint, that you might have almost been, like, a, kind of a trivial target for them. Well,
1: by the time we were going out of business after that, yeah. that was the first time we, no, the second time we went out of business, yeah. actually. We, yeah. to, we kept going out of business and coming back. And, yeah. Yeah. But um, someone wrote a book. And I was warned by someone who had information about fringe groups. And he said uh, the the, the writer of this book was a CIA guy. And he called it terrorist chic. So they were writing about punk as if we were a bunch of terrorists. You know? Uh, (laughs) You know, when I first came to New York, I worked at a place where there was a, a terrorist living. You know, I don't remember his name. He, he went by a pseudonym. Yeah, but he was with the FALN. Well, yeah, back I mean, in the early seventies, they'd be blowing up yeah, banks yeah, yeah. every all over the place. Yeah, there were
0: hijackings, and I mean, the seventies were a yeah. pretty. We I guess we tend to forget that now because it's a different brand, but they, they were, there were was a lot of domestic terrorism happening at the time. Yeah. So they, a,
1: a, another agenda is that the government wants us yeah. to be afraid all the time yeah so we need we need to give up our freedoms so they can protect us from the terrorists yeah. this has been an ongoing cycle, and you keep seeing it and I know a lot of I know people who fall for this, yeah, so they want to build the wall, they want Trump to build the wall to keep out the Muslims because yeah. the Muslims are coming up here from Mexico, and they 're all going to try to kill us so so let, let's get let 's get back to actually issue nine that 's interesting i mean was that
0: um you know, maybe, you know, in hindsight, this idea that it was, you know, that that would have been, you know, I don't know if if sellout was in vogue the way it is now. Oh, um, very much. It was okay. So, so that that would have been, you know, that sort of the, the the real kind of sellout moment for the you know the the magazine interviewing. A, a band like Kiss. I mean, there must have been a lot of conversations happening around that about whether or not that was a smart idea, even if it was a good interview. Well,
1: the thing is, we weren't selling any magazines with Iggy okay. or the Ramones or yeah. Blondie on the cover,
0: so we had nothing to lose. Was, was it was it that you had that you had hit the peak already and that you were dipping again, or was it just no, relatively no, no, nobody
1: nobody cared about the Ramones yeah. or Blondie in 1977? But but you're you know. A, a, it felt like by, by issue nine. I mean,
0: you had you had, had some amount of success, right? And and you no. Had felt
1: no, no, not okay, really. not really.
0: Well, I mean, it's all relative, right? I mean, your your idea of success changes as you move along a
1: little bit. But no, no, no? we were we were we it, would uh, we, we sent out the, the issue with the sex pistols yeah. on the cover for the first issue. I remember that in Cleveland, it sold two percent. Yeah, you know, two percent. Yeah, you're not gonna, We're just losing money.
0: Yeah. left and right. It's it's funny. It's funny the sorts of things that you know. In, in in hindsight, you know, like now you can put out this book and now it's a celebrated thing. But that it that it didn't feel like a success as it was happening.
1: Um, we got a lot of publicity. Yeah, and we started getting a lot of subscriptions. But record com- record companies weren't advertising with us. Um. The new we didn't sell well on newsstands and traditional no. magazine outlets. I think a uh, your typical newsstand operator would just look at us and say this thing's not going to sell because it doesn't look like Time or Look yeah. or Playboy. So, we would sell really well in music shops, but at that time, not many music shops sold magazines. And and. and
0: you know, I guess I, it, it, it w- was success to you that this could just be your full-time job. Is that how you're reviewing it? Oh yeah,
1: well, I thought we'd be like Rolling Stone. Everybody yeah. would look at the magazine and say, "Wow, this is going to be big. It's great." Yeah. I mean, one thing that happens, it, it's like a cult. We were cult figures. Sure. We were a cult phenomenon. it's not a bad thing, though, it's right? Like, it's like John Waters. I mean, yeah. he, you know, he he actually had success. He would sell out the yeah. Elgin Theater. So, but that he would sell like, he would sell at like three theaters all over the country when he showed Pink Flamingos. Yeah, it wasn't like he's done a thousand screens and he, he had a lot of you know big budget for his next movie. But you know,
0: Colton, Colton in your you know early to mid twenties, isn't that enough to keep you going?
1: Well, we figured the bands would be big. Yeah, you know, I saw the Ramones and I thought they'd be playing Madison Square Garden. We thought they'd sell a lot of records. When they yeah. first got their record deal, we figured, wow, once everybody hears the Ramones, they're gonna fall in love with them the way we did. And then if we put the Ramones on the cover, we're gonna sell a lot of magazines. But that didn't happen with punk rock. But just but
0: just having that sort of that, that base level of success, having a, a small but engaged
1: fan base didn't didn't feel like enough? Well it's like we peaked in seventy seven. Yeah. And then that's, that's when the Ramones' Rocket to Russia sold the most records. But yeah. then Road, Road to Ruin came out. It didn't sell as many records. And, you know, Dead Boys' first album didn't sell many records. And then the second album did worse. The, the Damned break up. The Dead Boys break up. It, it was this whole feeling by 1979 that it was over. And
0: and part of... And, and part of interviewing Kiss was was an attempt to break a little bit more into the mainstream yeah
1: yeah well KISS was like yeah no of course money of course yeah plus it was a great interview we, yeah. we interviewed them at a Lou Reed press party Clive Davis was there Diana Ross so the interview was sort of about the inner workings of hmm. the mainstream music industry as well as a short talk with Paul and uh, and Gene. Gene probably yeah it was, that, And we had pictures yeah. of them without their makeup.
0: Oh, well, that was... Right?
1: Yeah. yeah. At that was, point, that was, that was it a was very big from deal. The, from the nose yeah, up. Yeah, but even still. But we had pictures of them yeah. without their makeup. Yeah. It would have been groundbreaking. We would have reached a whole new audience. Uh, we wanted to be mainstream. We wanted punk to be more like the Mad Magazine of rock and roll. Yeah. Than some cultish fanzine about CBGB bands. Yeah. So that was kind of our... First effort to go big time was disappeared. It just didn't come back from the printer. <laughs> Never. We were told that the printer went out of business. Yeah. And you know, and this is while I was gone for two weeks. And it was
0: enough of a shoestring budget at that point that if it didn't come back, that was just kind of the end of the magazine. Yeah,
1: the, the, that issue would have broken even on the advertising for the first time. We, yeah. we had ads from Ramones and Blondie and. You know, we we had like a dozen ad pages that we would that would have probably put us over the top, but of course that is also why if somebody's in your organization yeah. who wants you to fail, they're going to make sure this because you know I'm told the printer went out of business and then an investigate someone investigated everything and we found out the story the guy, this guy told us to, to get in he, he gave us like he invested money in the magazine he invested like $20,000 yeah not an in
0: insignificant significant he, amount of money he
1: told us he got the money because his brother was a, a police officer in Detroit okay and this guy looked into it uh, uh, and, he, and this was his death benefits the guy was shot in the line of duty and this guy looked into it and I also looked into it you can find this stuff online yeah no cops were shot in 75 or 76. It, so that was a lie. And then the, the printer was still in business for another five years.
0: So what, what, So you, 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 you get that call, you have that conversation with them, you realize that you know, this issue that you've spent all this pumped basically
1: well, you know, like your life into I didn't get a call. I walk in the yeah. door. Actually, before I walk in the door, I see a dead rat on the sidewalk. Okay. I'm like, that's weird. Is that an omen? Yeah. Yeah. And I go in, and the people there in the office say, we went out of business. And I was like, what? Yeah. Because, you know, we were all set when I left. That's one of the reasons I felt safe to take off. And they're like, oh, well, this happened and that happened. There's nothing we can do. Yeah. And, and then I said, let's, let's, let's do a benefit concert, and we'll raise enough money to bring out another magazine. So we, we put on a benefit, and we raised, like, about two thousand dollars at CBGBs over two nights, and we brought out Punk Number Ten.
0: So, at what point in that first run? At what point was it clear that that was just that was going to be end that was that it was time for you to move on? Huh? And th- through the first run, what, at what point did you sort of like pack it in and, and move on? Oh, well, on? that
1: was nineteen seventy nine. Yeah, um, we had a deal with a printer to print six issues. And we would give them the receivables. like Mm -hmm. It's called factoring. Yeah. Common business practice. And uh, they did two issues under this arrangement. And then the owner of the company got divorced. He was bored, so he went to visit his printing plant. Took one look at the latest issue of Punk Magazine that was about to come off the press. And said, I'm not printing that filth in my company. And he ripped up the contract. Hmm. And the president of the company who signed the agreement said, "I would, I will go to, I will defend that contract if you want to go to court." Yeah, but we didn't have the money to sue yeah. over the contract, so um, we kept waiting for the next, you know, miracle to come along and bring out the magazine. But now people were saying stuff like, "Oh, what are you going to call your magazine now that Punk is dead?" You know, the record companies, everybody was into disco. You know, the punk, punk rock was pretty much over with. Yeah. So, uh, then the, the, the guy I had working as publisher, Spacely, started using heroin. He was attacked by a drag queen outside the mud club and lost one of his eyes when she, she hit him over the head with a chain. Then his wife had a miscarriage in the office. My father died. I had to go take care of his affairs, Uh, and this was right after you know Sid killed Nancy, and then Sid died of a heroin overdose. It was just one thing after another. Yeah, you know, it it just uh, uh, then the Carter inflation took over, and the hostage crisis happened. It was like the whole world was going insane. What was the what was the next step for you? Um, I just kept freelancing. Yeah, we we. Oh, this was what really killed us. No, approach- more, there's more to that story? Was, yeah, well, I was approached by HBO to make a film of Nick Detroit. Okay. Our first photo comic. Yeah. So, you know, we suspended the magazine figuring if we make a movie and it's successful, we'll have all the money we need. Yeah. We can just start making movies. So I wrote the treatment, and I called up his office, and he'd been fired. So then um, Richard Hell was working on a movie. He mm-hmm. was going to be involved in, in the film because he played the lead character. Yeah. And he was making movies back then. He was doing, uh, what is it, Smithereens, stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, blank Generation, Uli yeah. Lommel's Blank Generation yeah, 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 with yeah. Carol Bouquet, yeah. who became one of the James Bond girls, right? So all this movie stuff is happening. Yeah. And, well, okay, HBO, turn us down. It's it's ironic because I met this guy on the set of uh, the Heart of Glass video shoot. Blondie Blondie was shooting it, and we were invited to watch. So this guy from HBO approached me, and then he gets fired. Apparently he was doing heroin. It's very common. Let his uh, loss of job. So Richard introduced me to uh, the assistant director from Blank Generation. And he knew people he could bring it to, and we started getting. You know, Elvis Costello agreed to play a part. David Johansen wrote a letter of intent. We had all these people lined up. Yeah. So we had two different places I could sell it to. I had a. As always in life, I always have you have to choose door number one or do door number two. Yeah. Door number one, sell the rights. You probably get like twenty, a hundred thousand dollars but they're going to totally scrap your script and turn yeah. it into a kung fu movie. Yeah. Door number two. Well-respected film producer is going to make an independent movie. You'll have creative input. Mm-hmm. You get a 20-page contract outlining your rights if they turn it into a TV show, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I chose door number two. I didn't want to screw over everybody who had helped us get that far. Yeah. So, the director calls up the producer after we signed the agreement, and he's like, well, I don't want to do it anymore. Turned out he just wanted to option the rights for a TV show he was developing, which came out a few years later called, I think, Crime Story. Okay. And he actually had, like, Debbie Harry in an yeah. episode, so.
0: Did, did, were, were you... Did you ever have a similar option with Punk the magazine? did it, did anyone offer to take it off of your hands at
1: any point? No. It, was, it wasn't ever that what, big of a uh, success. I think Al Goldstein offers us ten thousand, yeah. but Screw. I give up. Yeah. That's for a hundred percent of yeah. the rights. Yeah, um, Metal Herlant, which became Heavy Metal in yeah. the states, yeah, the
0: French magazine, wanted
1: to publish Nick Detroit, and the odd thing that kept happening was. We'd make out the custom forms and package it off and mail it, and it would be returned six weeks later. Then we'd do it again. Mm-hmm. Then we did it again. And by then they lost interest. So that was mysterious. We had a lot of trouble with the uh, Postal Service. Yeah. Like records would come to us from England, and it looked like somebody stabbed it with an ice pick. It would say punk on it, and, and people hated punk back then. They so just hated it.
0: Interesting. So this way, because you know, my first after the conversation we, we just had, my first uh, um, thought was that it was some some like larger larger thing with the government or the U.S. Postal Service. But it was just there was just such a negative perception outside of that bubble that people I, would go to those
1: lengths. I don't know if it was individuals yeah. or a concerted effort. Probably a mixture of both. The, uh, the, the, the photos coming back to us for Nick Detroit always bothered me, but a lot a lot of weird things happened yeah. back then. you know I can't even remember all of them. But we well, talked about this. I, I did a panel discussion about this with um, with um, Elon Wilder. It was our associate publisher. Mm-hmm. Oh, here you know, the other thing that happened, what, the, the crushing blow, really, yeah. was this guy Tom Forsad, the publisher of High Times, yeah. the leader of the Underground Press, killed himself in November 78. And he was really what... He was our angel. He was the one who kept us afloat financially. So, that was the end. Yeah. W- were
0: you... You know, you see you, you, you see footage of you know like the the Sex Pistols on some of these like you know larger the uh, like like British talk shows at the time, and all these all these mainstream stories about the, the bad influence of punk. I know, I know he's he's a bit after after that time, but like you know, like G Allen on on Sally Jessie Raphael or something like that. Was was there enough of a? Um, sort of sideshow mainstream interest that you were being approached by the press and they were treating this as kind of this strange oddity out of New York oh
1: yeah that happened right away that happened yeah. right off the bat really yeah we got publicity with the very first issue but negative uh, publicity n- well no actually a lot of it was positive Yeah. Uh, Ernest Leogrand of the New York Daily News just loved the magazine huh. really very you know legendary yeah. respected journalist and uh, he wrote about us for the Daily News and then the Daily News did like an entire uh, magazine like the Sunday section magazine cover story on punk rock you can see the cover upstairs; it has the dictators on the cover yeah Um, but really the the moment that the mainstream picked up on it was when the Sex Pistols came to America you know Tom Forsad paid to have a movie made about the whole thing he was filming the shows without the band's permission, without Warner Brothers' permission, because he was going to make an underground documentary about the Sex Pistols. Was was it something that you, that you were
0: personally taking very seriously from the beginning or did it was it just yeah. kind of, okay, it wasn't just a fun side project when he first started?
1: Oh no, I was very aware of what I was doing before yeah. anybody else. I knew it was I knew punk magazine would have a big impact. So what what
0: are the what are the first steps? I mean, you know, you do the you do the Lou Reed interview pretty pretty early on. I mean, was that really the, the beginning of it for you?
1: Oh yeah. Well that was our first Yeah. First wh- cover story. Yeah, well we were gonna we were gonna put the dictators on the cover. The record company said they broke up and they'll yeah. never get back together again. So then I, I was like, Well the Ramones you know, or the other great punk rock band. Yeah. They're playing on Thanksgiving weekend. We go there on Sunday. Lou reads in the audience, and he gives, gives me the best interview I could... I mean, Lou was the hottest subject in the music industry at that time. His bizarre behavior, yeah. and his... Uh, he was such a difficult person to interview that, that really, that interview put us on the map. And I... I knew as I'm doing the interview, half of me is trying to do an interview and the other half is, like, jumping up and down. Like, yeah. wow, this interview is coming out so great. This is, everybody's going to go nuts when they read this. Was it, was it just you just caught him on a good night? How did that, how did that work out? I think I was the anti-Lester Bangs. Ah. And by not asking traditional questions. For instance, Rachel was with him. Yeah. His transsexual girlfriend. Yeah. I left her out of the story completely.
0: So you weren't turning him into a sideshow and
1: well, I was not I was respecting his private life. Yeah. When Lester wrote about Rachel, and Lou would say, "Leave her out of the story." That's not cool. But he was still giving you enough
0: interesting material for right. the
1: piece. He was great. He was so good.
0: Didn't he? Didn't, he buy, didn't he, I was reading. Didn't he offer to buy his own record off of you? Didn't he offer to buy Metal Machine Music off of you? I,
1: I had a quadraphonic version of Metal Machine Music, and he couldn't get a copy of it. I don't think so. What was going know. on in Reed's well, life? I think he offered to give me an autograph. I see. But why would be an autograph if I give him a record? Yeah, Those I wonder.
0: I wonder if that was just like Lou Reed, just kind of being like weirdo Lou Reed at the time. I mean, I see you. You think he could get a copy, his hands on a copy of a quadraphonic copy of his
1: own album? I yeah. There was so much going on that was just like uh, just another line. So, but the the uh,
0: the magazine was already. Pretty much lined up At that point And then you No not then th- there, there, there wasn't even A magazine When you did the interview
1: No It was just a Thought in my mind Okay a, You know Like we agreed to do it yeah. We incorporated the business With a lawyer We were serious about doing it I had a printer lined up Okay But I'd never brought out I'd never done a magazine before Yeah I didn't know how to do a layout I never took paste up Of mechanicals So I just treated The whole thing like I was making a Comic book That looked like a rock magazine Yeah so, yeah, that was Thanksgiving. We delivered the last material like two or three weeks later. We actually had the Ramones Centrifold printed in mid-December. And Tanny Fields heard about it, and we uh, rushed, it, rushed it over to a party they were at. And I think that was like the final convincer that Seymour had to sign this band immediately. Yeah. So it's what we were told at the time. So getting so loud up there. Um, it's it's fine. So yeah, the magazine came out I went up New Year's Eve to the printer yeah. to kind of see if anybody was around, to see if they were ever gonna print the magazine. And the printer's like jumping around like a gremlin printing out the, the magazine. Hmm. You you were you were already doing
0: some freelancing at the time? Yeah. You you were writing about music. You you were no, doing comics. No
1: comics. I did an yeah. illustration for Screw magazine. Okay, and a couple comic strips. Yeah, I had done my first strips for Bananas.
0: So what was you know what 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 was what was the impulse there at that that point at that you know early time at that early point in your career to not just oh, I'll go talk to Lurita or I'll talk to Ramones, but I'll do it for, you know, whatever music magazine at the time versus, hey, let's just make our own thing. I was rejected by Cream. I see. I sent yeah.
1: stuff out to magazines. You really were the anti-Lester Banks. Injection yeah. so, um, I remember I sent him a little cartoon. I said, I'm going to be the greatest rock and roll cartoonist uh-huh. of all time. Uh-huh. Never got my material back. I did stuff for cr- Cracked Magazine. Oh, yeah. And I never printed it. Yeah, I mean, I was being a freelancer back then was tough. Yeah, you just faced a lot of rejection. Um, I knew about self-publishing because my father published his own book before I was born about his experiences uh, at the Stalag Luft 3 and other German POW camps. Spent the entire war as a prisoner of war. Huh. Um, at Stalag Luft 3... He forged documents for escape attempts, including the Great Escape, which took place there. Yeah. So I was, you know, acquainted with the idea of publishing sure. your own stuff. Yeah. we had boxes of unsold books all over the house as I was growing up. Yeah. So I wasn't too crazy about the idea of self-publishing on my own dime. Uh, when I took Kurtzman's class, Art Spiegelman and Bill Griffith Visited us, and Griffith, who did the Pinhead, yeah, of course, zippy. yeah, sure, yeah, um, encouraged me to publish my own work because every time we talked to somebody at yeah. Kurtzman's class, yeah, he had like ten <clears> of the greatest <throat> cartoonists ever, yeah. there, like Jack Davis, David Levine. We always say, "How do you break in? How do you, how do you?" And I think
0: a- I think Raw would have been starting right around yeah. that point. Right no. now, was, no, they were so, doing arcade, uh, arcade. Oh wow, together, yeah. Okay. Oh, Raw
1: didn't come along till after Punk, yeah. I actually had an encounter with him once. <laughs> um, he hated punk. That I, I, I told magazine? Art Speedo, just... No, it hadn't started yet. It yeah. was summer of '75. He hated the music, and I, was, I said, oh, yeah, "Punk rock is going to be the next big thing." Yeah. There's a great band called the Dictators, mm-hmm. and they do a song called "Back to Africa." I want to go. I want to go back to Africa and master race rock. And then the Ramones have a song called. I'm a Nazi baby, and Blitzkrieg Bob. Yeah. So Spiegelman's imagining this is like some right-wing, yeah, yeah, yeah. horrible, yeah. anti-Jewish thing. You didn't know I'm yeah, talking yeah. about a bunch of Jews who are just riffing on sure. it. And he's like, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to punch you out. You're an asshole. He doesn't remember the encounter, but yeah. other people who are there remember that. The guy really doesn't have a sense of humor. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I.
0: You know, you know what? The, I, I, this is a total side story, but I, I I ran into him in Cologne, Germany, of all places, and went to go see him do a. Um, I happened to be I happened to be in Cologne for for work, and he was there because he was doing a. Um, uh, they they were doing like a retrospective of, of his career, and um, they were sh- it was just a really bizarre experience for me because they were showing his work in front of this all German audience, and he had apparently done a series of. Gag strips after the um, the first series of Muhammad cartoons came around the the, the riots that happened around the, the Muhammad cartoons. The what cartoons? Muhammad. The um, oh, this this is recently. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, this would have been the past, you know, past like four or five years, but n- not the Charlie Hebdo before that. But in um, anyway, long, long story short, uh, long story semi long, uh, Ahmadinejad who was you know, in charge of Iran at the time, had started a contest for Holocaust denial cartoons. And Art Spiegelman entered the contest. So I was sitting with a German audience and watching them laugh at his Holocaust cartoons. Wow. So I guess he did have some sort of a sense of humor about it, but it was just a very surreal experience. I think Art has grown, I yeah. think,
1: at the time... Before punk, a lot of people were uptight about a lot of things, yeah, well, there was I, a political correctness, yeah we 're now seeing from a different direction yeah um, yeah I think that 's why you need stuff like punk to happen so that people get out of their mindset and open up their minds to other ways of thinking well i,
0: th- I think that's I, I, I think that's right, and I think that 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 you know for what what I know about our at, at the time, you know he was so. Interested in taking comics as seriously as possible, and that's that's where raw sort of Ra came from. That place. I mean, arcade was funnier. Everything everything Bill Griffith did was a lot funnier. And and you know, Art did some funny animal cartoons. But he started Mouse, I think, probably in arcade. I, I think no. as a different. Um, it was in,
1: I forget the name of it. Yeah, but it was kind of like a, a commercial comic book. Okay. I, I had a copy of it once upon a time, and I'm sorry I sold it. Yeah. But it was only four to six pages. Yeah. The first mouse strip. But, but he, he but, probably reprinted that yeah. in arcade. Yeah. But he,
0: he I mean, I, 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 think, I think you're right. I mean, I think he was on such a mission to make sure everybody in the world knew that comics were an art form
1: that he couldn't possibly have a sense of humor about it. Well, you know, I gave him a copy of my father's book. Yeah. And explained that my father was also a guest of the German government in those years, and I think that broke some ice. Yeah. And I think, you know, once he saw Punk, he realized we're not uh, a bunch of Nazi sympathizers. It's kind of the opposite. Yeah. So it's my belief that the best way to defeat the KKK when they hold a rally is not to protest the rally, but just laugh at them Mm -hmm. because they're dressed so funny. Yeah. So... So it was it, so. So you were thinking
0: about doing it as as something similar to, to arcade or like or Zap and doing just doing kind of an anthology. Comic? No, I wanted
1: to do with no. It was not there was not that much comic strips yeah. in it. One thing I wanted to do was innovate the comic strip form itself. So we would do, you know, these the, your regular rock magazine was usually edited by a, a, a word nerd, so they want to write all this stuff about the importance of the record. Yeah. So I thought it would be better to do like an editorial cartoon. So when I, I reviewed Alice Cooper Goes to Hell, I did like a um, I forget the cartoonist's name, but I did like an old style editorial cartoon where yeah. Alice Cooper is literally going to hell with all the other zombie dead yeah. rock stars because the record's so bad. Or... Oh, uh, Ken Wiener did these great uh, restaurant reviews as comic strips. So
0: was 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 was, uh, was was rock journalism at the time in a similar place? You know, when you're talking about like cream or trouser press or whatever, where where there was a push to take it seriously. I mean, was that was that how you were? Sort of the anti... I mean,
1: you know, Lister Banks had a sense of humor about certain things, but... Everybody wanted to take everything seriously back then. They wanted rock and roll to be taken seriously, so it became progressive rock. Yeah. And so they started, like, aping classical music, and they play it on synthesizers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So rock and roll was going down the totally wrong course. It wasn't rock and roll anymore. It was rock music for grown-ups, and it should be played in symphony halls it was, it stopped being fun. You know, Stop stopped being interesting. And I think that's what punk, the whole punk movement yeah. was about. It was not about throwing up on stage or it wasn't just shock rock. It was also, it was about having fun. When did you, so, so, so
0: you, you, you moved to New York to go to SVA. That's yeah. what brought you out here. So, and when did you start to notice that there was this interesting scene starting to coalesce around you? Oh,
1: immediately. Yeah. Um, the Magic Tramps played our Christmas party at SVA the second year. Mm-hmm. S- and Chris Stein was in the band, at, mm. I think, for that performance. Yeah. And there would be, I remember, posters for Angel and the Snakes. You know, that was Blondie before they were Blondie, I yeah. think. Or it was, you know, the uh, Elda and the Stilettos. The, our social director was a big fan of that music. The dolls were happening. Yeah. You know, my, yeah. I had a girlfriend who wanted to drag me to the... Uh, Oscar Wilde Room at the uh, what's that place that uh, fell apart Mercer Arts Center so you couldn't escape it Yeah. and then one of my first jobs when I was living across the street from the Hells Angels the the Fillmore East opened up and Bill Graham would not allow them to call it the Fillmore East so this guy Barry Stewart called it the new Fillmore East I heard about it, showed my cartoons, and I started doing posters hmm. and a program guide. So, and, and it was, and you know, it was.
0: Were, were, were the bands getting any real national coverage prior to you coming? The along? dolls were. Yeah, I think the dolls inspired the whole punk scene. Yeah, Danny but Nikki. I, I guess you know the Ramones were so the Ramones weren't signed at that point, right? Is that what oh,
1: they weren't even. Yeah, this is not, I'm talking about 1973, yeah. 74. But they, they weren't even a band yet. So,
0: so there wasn't really. I mean, there, uh, the, had had Cream had 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 magazines like that picked up on the fact that there was something happening? Yeah, you could read about the Dolls. Uh
1: oh.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> yeah, the, so, so the dolls' first album was out.
1: Yeah, that was big news yeah. in New York. Yeah, so like they were getting they noticed, noticed. And yeah, well, that, I, yeah. I saw them open for the Hoople at the yeah. Felt Forum. Okay, you know, they were getting big. So they were they were
0: they were kind of at the tail end of the glam thing that was happening.
1: No, they were right in the middle of it. Yeah, they were kind of the peak. Yeah.
0: So so you're 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 trying to freelance unsuccessfully. It's not really. Uh, it's not really working out. You decide to.
1: I was still working as Will Eisner's assistant yeah. at minimum wage, but
0: but you, um, you know, you, you you had the initiative at that point to set off and start your own thing. Were you? At what point did did did, did legs enter into the picture?
1: Well, I want to go back a little earlier. Um, Harvey, in, right before I left school, yeah, introduced me to a publisher who wanted to start a magazine called The Harpoon. And Harvey was going to draw the cover,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, I, I was going to be a magazine editor. Yeah. So that's when I really got bit by the bug. Wow, it would be really great to start a magazine. Was that that was going to be a, a comics magazine or something similar to Mad? Like similar to it? Lampoon. Okay. Before and that, I, I want my idea was to do an Alice Cooper comic book. I thought you know he'd be a perfect comic book character. Yeah. And I met with someone at Marvel, and they told me, "This is the stupidest idea we've ever heard. <laughs> we'll never do it." Yeah. And then ten years later, they did it. Yeah. So, so, so you got
0: so you you got what happened to what happened to Harpoon?
1: Oh, they, they were only doing it to get bought out by the Lampoon. Yeah. So they were. I think they were bought out for twenty thousand. Yeah. It was a scam.
0: So so you so 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 you you I mean you met with a couple of like-minded people you you you
1: got the publishing contract in place. Well, I had a meeting. Yeah. I had a meeting and they said come up with ideas for the magazine. Yeah. So for one week I was a magazine editor unpaid.
0: Yeah. So so at, but at what point does uh, th- th- does punk really start to
1: develop as an idea? Um, I always had ideas in my head. Yeah. For, ma- for magazine material, yeah. you know, how could I pitch this to cream? Um, I did a comic book called Dome Land, an educational comic book about building geodesic domes. Hmm. That was published before I took Harvey Kurtzman or Will Asher's yeah. c- course. We did a second issue, but then the guy who uh, was in charge of the place was fired. So, you know, my life has just been a series of, like, people dying, people getting fired. I think it's life. I think you're just describing life. <laughs> well, I had my one glorious moment when I was able to bring out a magazine yeah. for a few years. Yeah. So. Um, did you get, I mean, what did you realize at the time or did
0: it take hindsight to really figure out that that was just perfect timing?
1: That things weren't always going to click that way. Well, it was terrible timing in a way. Yeah. Yeah, I'll get into it when we talk about sure. jet and legs. Yeah. See, uh, Will Eisner would close down his office for the summer. So I had nothing to do for the summer. Yeah, And Eddie, legs, yeah. uh, said, you know, Jed is running a house painting business, and I'm shooting a movie. I'd like you to be in the movie. Why don't yeah. you work for Jed, and then we can make the movie together. So I did. I lived in Cheshire for about two months, and Jed would paint houses in the week uh, during the week with a, like, Nine kids, and uh, on weekends we'd shoot this movie. It was a gangster comedy. We played a bunch of uh, addle-brained gangsters who broke out of a an institution, and we thought toilet paper was the most important thing to have, so we robbed the toilet paper. It was sounds not a like a
0: slapsticky kind of. Yeah, it was yeah. not a
1: great movie, but it got Jed. Jed was in it, I was in it, yeah. Eddie directed it. Yeah, you know, We made the front page in uh, New Haven, in the New Haven Register, which I was a paperboy for for a year. I thought it was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And Jed was like, hey, we make a great team, let's work together when yeah. we get out of school. He was going to Transylvania University in Kentucky at the time. Okay. And we were like, yeah, great. And then, you know, we would write back and forth, and, and I got some freelance assignments and Eddie was working in a film commune like a hippie place called uh, Total Impact and that's where he met Mary Heron. So Jed got tired of school and said I'm gonna drop out of school let's let's start a business now. So that was like October. But, the, but there was just this vague idea of
0: let's let's yep. just do something together whatever yep. it is and it could be I mean, do, do, what was was the film experience positive enough that that was something you wanted to do again? What? Was the film experience positive enough that was something you considered doing again? or
1: uh, It was going to be separate. Yeah. Eddie was going to have a film company and make educational movies. I see. And I was going to bring out a magazine. Yeah. So um, there was a competition between Eddie and I for Jed's money. Yeah. Jed only had about 5000 he thought he could get more from his family. He had a trust fund. Uh, but we ran through that money pretty quick, and he did not get the money. That was the first wrong turn. So so you, I mean, you. it sounds like you were
0: at least early on. I mean, obviously in some ways continued to be, but you were far and away the most committed to the notion of this magazine. Of the oh, three yeah. Of you.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, both Eddie and Jed had no idea about magazines. Yeah. Eddie has been quoted as saying he thought it was a stupid idea to start a magazine.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, you know, I told him, well, we'll get free drinks. Yeah. And that, you know, convinced him to do some work for the magazine. But he was never enthusiastic about it. Yeah. And it's ironic that now he's a uh, you know, known as the new rock music journalist. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It it's is, very weird. It, 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 is, it is interesting what you... Uh what you become known for, <laughs> yeah, what, what becomes your, your your trademark and and you, you know you, you did the big um, the, the the retrospective book uh, a few years back, yeah, the collection um, did, what, what's their point I mean, did you feel like you wanted to just sort of put that in your past and not revisit it,
1: or have you always had good feelings toward it Ed. well actually, Eddie and I were going to work on a book together, yeah and then he, but he's
0: obviously, you know, not had any issue uh, sort of retelling that story and being in that that world over the years. I mean, you know, he's
1: yeah. Well, I thought he I think he thought of it as like Please Kill Me part 2 or something. Yeah. But nothing ever happened. He just yeah. you know, he was at a point where he was taking on a lot of projects and not doing anything. Yeah. Uh, he had a falling out with his agent. So his agent worked with just me. But, but. And then she turned down my first proposal. Yeah. And I was uh, a dating uh, a lovely woman named Bridget Hurd, and she, uh, she was interested in doing it. She wanted to get into books. So she wrote up a proposal, and my agent accepted that one. But then we couldn't shop it because we finished it around the time of the uh, global worldwide economic meltdown, and it wasn't the right time to pitch a book. Yeah, at that time, people weren't that nobody interested in money. a punk book. Nobody had any money. Yeah, nobody thought the economy would ever recover. Yeah, the books were not doing well. Period. I think the biggest, I think the biggest offer we got was from someone two thousand dollars for the whole book. Jesus, I can't do a book yeah. like punk for that much. And then a friend of mine got a job at a publishing company, a music publishing company. He expressed interest. And he upped the bid to 10. And, you know, once you get this, a couple of years later, there was more interest. So, yeah, all of a sudden, I had a book deal. But was
0: there a point, you know, this was something you started doing when you were 21, right? Yeah. And there had to be a point. Obviously, you know, you'd moved on, and you were working at High Times for a while. You were doing all these other projects. Well, High Times was later. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying, though, is, is you had moved on to other things in your life. You know, you were, and, and I think you were...
1: You were running High Times, right? Were you... Uh... I was the managing editor managing at edit. first, okay. which is like the type slave. Yeah. And
0: then, then running the website. An
1: executive editor. Yeah. Then I became the publisher. Then they asked me to start the website. Yeah. And the website was so much fun because nobody knew how to do it, so yeah. they left They left you alone. Because I just wanted to like not have to deal with the politics, office politics and all that stuff. Yeah. So I... I mentioned I'd like to just make a lateral move and run the website, but and then, and then I was just run down. I wanted to leave, and I, I always thought Punk Magazine could could come back. Yeah, because punk rock never went away; it only got bigger. Well, that that, that actually answers my question. You know, I I
0: what, what I was wondering if it was something that you felt like was a part of your past that you didn't really want to think about anymore. But it sounds like it was always kind of in the back of your mind. I was
1: always trying to bring it back somehow. Yeah. In fact, I started at High Times because uh, the editor Steve Hager wanted to talk High Times into publishing it as a magazine again. Yeah. Were, were you uh, were you a part of that that pot culture at the time? Was that not really no? But the, the, the thing is, I knew Tom Forsad, the founder. Yeah, you yeah, know, I was a very good friend of his. As uh, looking back, yeah, you know, he took me on this exorcism tour. He brought me to Jamaica for a trip. Uh, he, he was a big fan of Punk Magazine. He named me as one of the best publishers in, the, in America. Yeah, Me and Hugh Hefner, right? So, uh, you know, I, I would often be brought back by someone because I knew Tom. Yeah. And his family was helping to run the company at that time. And I did a great job. My first issue as managing editor, I got the magazine out on time. And the top... People who ran the company flew out to meet me because the magazine had never gone out on time before.
0: Were you were you were you still drawing comics at all, or did that just? Take... Yeah, I did a
1: comic strip for uh, High Times. Okay, called Hepcat. Yeah, and I started off doing a cartoon chart called the Pot Forty instead of the top one, top forty. It was Pot Forty. Yeah, and it still runs in the, in the magazine to this day. Are you so? Are you still doing comics at all? Yes. Where where are you uh, Where are you
0: publishing at this point?
1: Nowhere right now. I just finished the cartoon map for the Queen's Museum. Yeah, yeah. Did you see it? Yeah, yeah. Actually, that was. Um, I Go was like, Facebook. oh, I got to
0: talk to. Yeah, I was like, I got to talk to John because he, he.
1: Oh man, it took popped so up much again. Time. It took so much time. It sounds
0: like it was worth it, though. I mean, it's getting you. It's getting you a lot of notice again.
1: Well, I think uh, I'm doing a show in Treviso, Italy. Oh wow! And they're interested in showing the original artwork, yeah. and selling it. So that might be worth it.
0: It's interesting, actually. It's one of those things. I mean, it's like so many pieces of American pop culture. In a lot of ways, it, it becomes more popular overseas. I mean, wasn't was was that ever the case with punk? Did it feel like yeah, it, we got international interest yeah. right away? Sounds like something. Sounds like something that would be huge in
1: like Japan, for instance. Well, I had a clothing deal there for years. Really?
0: Yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, well, were you de- you were designing clothing?
1: No, but they would take my cartoons and my lettering and put yeah. it on clothing. Yeah. So it'd be like uh, blue jeans, and they'd, they'd uh, print the dis- death to disco editorial on it. Yeah. A lot of T-shirt, punk T-shirts, cartoon T-shirts. That's got to be surreal. Uh not really, because, yeah. you know, the Ramones were big in Japan. The Dolls were big in Japan. We published Japanese uh, comic strips in punk and letters from Japan. Yeah. So, uh, in fact, in issue number five, a Japanese artist uh, won the graffiti contest, the Patti Smith graffiti contest. And uh, in issue number nine, we had a great drawing by a Japanese artist screaming Mad George. Who went on to work in film. Uh, we published his work in Punk Number 8. So we had Japanese artists in almost every yeah. issue.
0: So it, it's, it's interesting. I mean, it sounds like at, at any point during your life since you were 21, there's been some sort of aspect of the magazine, whether it's you know these deals abroad. I mean, it's yeah. always...
1: You know, even if you wanted to escape it, you probably couldn't, right? Lou Lou Reed told me in the summer of nineteen seventy six that punk would be on my tombstone. Yeah, Uh, I guess he's right. See, that
0: feel like, but it never. I mean, it never. It never really felt like like a millstone around your neck, did it? Or did it? Did it ever feel like something you couldn't escape?
1: Sometimes, yeah. Like I would like to have another success. Yeah. But people, well, the other thing is people don't even remember the magazine. Yeah. A lot of people only know me for my work with the Ramones. Yeah. And it kind of becomes like this uh, hamster wheel. Like I try to stop doing stuff for the Ramones, and then people are like, no, no, we love it when you do Ramones stuff. you got to do another one. You yeah. Gotta do another. So, so I'm hoping the map is the end of that because I do have other things I want to draw. The, the, the end of it is just in the last thing I mean
0: obviously like it's not the thing you would do to escape that because it's still kind of a part of that
1: um yeah
0: what's so what what do you uh what, what's next I mean are you
1: well I have a story I really want to tell yeah I think I might have gone to school with a uh, hybrid human alien oh okay like a an yeah. SVA no in middle school middle school yeah so it would be a thing about bullying cuz she was so weird looking if she wasn't a space alien she looked like one yeah and i'm sure she was bullied and at my last high school reunion i found out a lot of kids were bullied as i was yeah you know
0: it, 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 it you know it's interesting i mean you know when you're when you're of a when you're of a certain age when you're 21 you know it's it it makes perfect sense to just go and, and sort of do your own thing but once you get to a certain point i mean you you know you feel like you i assume you feel like you need some sort of whether it be like a book deal or a magazine or somebody else lined up to actually publish that or would you just sit down well, and now start working on i would on just it? put it
1: on the web okay and I, i'm so, going to look at like i am going to look into reprinting some of my past comic strips as a uh, pdf or a yeah. book, comic book yeah, and maybe you know sell them on the on the web because there's all these websites that sell comic yeah. books. But, and but there's you, a lot of interest in my work yeah. as a cartoonist from certain people. There are people who still remember my comic strip Joe in Bananas, yeah, or Bosco, or Hepcat uh, in High Times.
0: So, but you, but you, I mean, obviously, you do need to keep. Um, jobs lined up that will keep you no, being I'm able so, to pay for I'm
1: your rent. No, so, I'm on Social Security. Oh, okay. So yeah. that's what's kind of nice. Yeah. I don't have to worry about paying the rent anymore. Yeah. You know, I just need to make a little more money, and, you know, I think I can do that. Sell stuff on eBay. Sell some artwork. I wanted to say, one of the th- reasons we got together to put out Punk was I did a uh, cartoon concert like Vaughn Bodie. I saw Von Bodie do his first, his first cartoon concert yeah. at the Creation Convention in New York. So my friend Batlash, Battenlash, who does uh, Zombie Wife and uh, a lot of other comics to this day, he and I did our own cartoon concert and performed it at SVA. I continued to do this cartoon concert. It starred my character, Joe, who appeared in Bananas... And I did that until 1981. I opened for the Ramones once. Cartoon concert, is it projections? Or what is a cartoon concert? Yes, you project the art and do the voices. Yeah. So I'd do the voices. Once we played the Mud Club, I had like four different people playing music and doing voices. Yeah. And uh, so that, that was what I wanted to do as a magazine at first and call it Electronic Comic. And that's why I thought we were getting together. To put out a magazine, so it would have been like a combination live performance and magazine at the same time, the way Bodie did his Cheech Wizard. Yeah, it's very. It was, it was very high concept. Yeah, but then, yeah, the idea went from that to I said Teenage News because it was a New York Dolls song and they hated that. Yeah, and then I said, well, what do you call a magazine about punk rock? And he said. Just call it punk. Yeah. And to this day, he thinks he thought up the word on his own. But, <laughs> you know, punk rock was a big thing to me. It yeah. Was, you know.
0: I mean, I, I suspect that to some degree, like it's always going to come back. That that, that there there will always be some element. I mean, you'll never be able to escape it in, entirely. I mean, it, but that's but that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, at some point, it might have well, felt not, like I'm it. not trying to escape it. Yeah. I mean the fact that like the fact that people are still interested in it means that you did something worthwhile. I mean, how many people can say that, right?
1: There were thousands of people at the Queen's Museum. Yeah. And half of them turned away. Yeah. The Ramones have never been more popular. Yeah. And you know, they're your basic punk rock band. There are still bands playing punk. Punk never died. It's like the zombie. You can't kill it. It yeah. just keeps coming back. Yeah. Nobody figured out you have to kill it in the head. Yeah. So uh, no, I'm proud of my association with punk. That's why I did the 40th anniversary gallery show at the Howell Happening Gallery in January to mark the 40th anniversary. And, and we, we were there first. We we yeah. we were punk before anybody. And the book and the book was sort of.
0: It, it sounds like the book was kind of an opportunity to tell people like this was more than. This sort of abstract concept,
1: like there's actual,
0: yeah, pieces connected to it. Like we actually did work, and here it is.
1: Yeah. Well, that's like what I, I mentioned, Ernie Le- Leo Grand earlier, and yeah. he would say this. At first glance, this looks like a primitive, badly rendered magazine. Yeah. But if on closer look, it's put together with intelligent and care. Yeah. Uh, and it really was. It's sort of like the Ramones. I think people remember them because they did punk rock better than anybody else. Most people think you just play fast and loud, and that's punk. Yeah. But the Ramones were very meticulous in how they would create and perform their music. I remember I was in the loft once, and and Joey's plucking on that two-string guitar with Dee Dee. They're writing a song. And it was like half an hour let's, dun 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 no let's do dun 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 Yeah, and they just like so carefully yeah. pick out every note it it was crazy so there was a sense with
0: them early on even before them being signed that, that there was that this just that this wasn't just a local band that this was that they were really on to something that they were
1: a few people thought that Most people thought they were never going anywhere. Yeah. That every song sounded like the next. Yeah. So who's going to buy a a second Ramones record? Yeah. And in fact, that was the reaction it got. Vince Skelsa on NEW became one of their biggest fans. But the first time he played the record, they they, they played the first song and he he liked it. And then they played the second song and he started to hate it. By the third song, he ripped it off the turntable. Threw it against the wall and said, "You're never going to hear the Ramones on this radio station ever again." Yeah. And when they opened for Johnny Winter in Wallingford, Connecticut, it's a they, hell of a combination. They played. Uh, <laughs> they played their first song and everybody cheered. Yeah. The second song, few cheers, a little restlessness, and by the third song, people hated them and started yeah. throwing bottles at them to get them to stop.
0: And here we are, forty years later. And yeah. people are still talking about them.
1: Yeah. Well most of their great bands people hated. People yeah. hated the doors at first. People hated Alice Cooper. They still hate suicide. So suicide's doing something right. <laughs> there you have it. That was John Holmes from
0: Oh my goodness. I I don't I don't really you know, I don't really have a lot to add to that conversation. I, I usually like to, you know, maybe 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 tag it with something at the end here, but um, I think John really speaks for himself. I mean, after we, after we we finished that uh, that interview, we, we spoke for about two more hours. We were uh, drinking at uh, Manitoba's Bar in the East Village, and oh my, I mean, <laughs> you know that was that was the stuff that he was willing to say uh, into a microphone. If you, you can only only imagine what uh, what what's, what the kind of things we talked about afterwards. Uh, thank you so much to him for taking the time to do that. Really, really enjoyed that conversation. Really, really fascinating guy with a lot of really terrific stories. Um, you can check out his work over at his website. It's com. You can also actually check out a bunch of his stuff over at the, uh, the Ramones exhibit at the Queens Museum. That's uh, running for a few more weeks until July 31st. Highly recommend that. Uh, thanks again to him for doing that. Thanks to Brian, as always, for editing the show together. Thanks to you, the listener, for listening to the show. If you liked what you heard, consider supporting us over over on our uh, patreon if you don't have any cash you can also support us by uh, rating us over at itunes or any of the fine places where you get your podcasts uh follow us on tumblr that's iolcast.tumblr.com if you got any feedback or guest suggestions or anything else that's riolcast at gmail.com uh, you can like us over on facebook and that's uh, that's about all i got for this week so thanks so much for listening and stick around because we will be back just about this time next week with another episode of R.I.Y.L.